Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to continue there in our Sermon on the Mount. At the close of a worship gathering one Sunday, this preacher told his congregation, he said, Church, now next week, I plan to preach on the sin of lying. And he said, in order to prepare you for that sermon, I need you to go read Mark chapter 17. And then he dismissed the congregation. He gave them those instructions, dismissed them, they headed out, came back the next Sunday, and when it came time for him to preach, he got up there and he said, he reminded them, last Sunday, I asked you guys to prepare for today's sermon by reading Mark 17. And he said, by a show of hands, I want to know how many of you guys actually read it. And a few hands went up around the sanctuary. <laughs> and he looked around and began to laugh. He said, Beloved, there is no Mark 17. I will now begin my sermon on the sin of lying. <laughs> now listen, telling the truth is, is, is hard for us sometimes, isn't it? Right? We don't want to look foolish. So we'll say things and that, that aren't all the way true, but we'll fudge it a little bit. Or sometimes we may outright lie. Or maybe we don't want to get into trouble. Right? I mean, we've seen our kids do that a thousand times, right? We've caught them red-handed, right? They've got the chocolate all over their mouth. Honey, did you eat the chocolate chip cookies? No, mama. And the, the evidence is right there, right? But we as adults do that too, right? We don't want to get in trouble, so we're tempted to lie. Or, or we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Husbands, we go through this a lot, right? Honey, does this make my look big, you know? And the, uh, 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 <laughs> you know? And so, or, or, or does, does, do, I look, you know, do I look pretty today or whatever else? And, and although she always looks pretty, right? Maybe just that day, maybe it's not her best. <laughs> and so, uh, just like we have sometimes not our best. And so, what do we do? Well, we, we fudge. Now, this doesn't happen in my house, if that's what you're saying over there. <laughs> Right? But, but we're tempted to, to lie. Or, or maybe we want to save face. Right? We're tempted to lie. But there are moments when truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth must be told. That's why in courts of law, for instance, you take an oath when you get up into that witness stand. Have any of y'all ever served as a witness and, and had to do the oath? Okay. A few of you have. All right? Witnesses are asked, basically, here in America... Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Now, you have to be careful when you put people under oath, right? Especially like maybe like a southern grandma to witness on the, to witness on the witness stand, put under oath, especially in a small town. Uh, at one time, there was this grandmotherly Miss Jones that had been sworn in. And the prosecuting attorney observed as she got up there and he was going to butter her up a little bit. He said, Miss Jones, you seem to have far more than the average share of intelligence for a woman of your background. And I'm moved by the compliment. Miss Jones looked over the rim of her glasses and said, if I wasn't under oath, I would return the compliment. <laughs> but more than a little chagrin, more than a little chagrin, the, 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 the attorney decided to just go ahead with his line of questioning. So he approached her there in the witness stand and he, he asked her, Miss Jones... Do you know me? Oh, she didn't hesitate. It's a small town, right? She knew him. 
Why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize that you will never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. Now, the lawyer, he was, he was absolutely astounded, right? He couldn't believe what she just said. And not knowing what else to do, he turned and pointed to the defense attorney. He said, Miss Jones, do you know the defense attorney? And she replied, oh, of course I know him. Mr. Bradley, I've known him since he was a youngster too. He's lazy, bigoted, has a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention, he has a history of fooling around with married women, one of which is your wife, Mr. <laughs> Williams. Yes, I know him. And of course, the defense attorney, man, he almost fell out of his chair. Well, immediately the judge starts rapping. Come up here. He instructed both counselors to come to the bench. And as the lawyers got up there, he said in a real quiet voice, If either one of you two idiots ask her if she knows me, I will sentence you to the electric chair. So you have to be careful, right? Who you, why the questions you ask somebody under oath. Well, tonight we pick back up our series called Life Lessons from the Mountain. All right, and so... As we walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount here in the book of Matthew, tonight Jesus tackles the topic of swearing and taking oaths, all right? So let's look at our text, Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37, Matthew 5, 33 through 37, and the Word of God says this, Jesus says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have heard or what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say, or let, 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 what, you say, uh, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let's pray together. God, as we look at your word here, would you give us insight? Open our eyes, shed light into the text and into our hearts and our minds. God, that we might rightly understand your word. Father, your word is meant to be lived. And so we want to understand it. And then we want to apply it, God, that we might live it out to honor you. So help us to do that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen, amen. You've probably heard the phrase a lot over the course of your life, or maybe you've said it yourself, say what you mean and mean what you say. That's the title of tonight's message. Mean what you say. Jesus sums it up pretty well right there in verse 37. Look at verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Now we know it, we probably have memorized it a different way. Right than the, than the way the ESV says it. We probably memorize it as, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's, what, that's the way we, we typically say it right around here. But before the teaching of that, let your yes be yes and your no be no, Jesus addresses the common problem that was among his audience with oaths. With oaths. All right, You see, Jesus wants you and me to be people of integrity. All right? Integrity, right? What we say we will do, we follow through on, right? That's the kind of people he wants us to be, right? We, 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 we make good on our commitments. We are easily believed. We're given the benefit of 
the doubt. We are trusted and trustworthy. We are truth tellers. And that only happens if we are people of integrity, okay? So tonight's takeaway is this. I believe our text is calling you and me to live with such integrity that oaths are almost unnecessary. In other words, there should be few moments in your life when you should have to swear by anything. All right? Live, such, live with such integrity that oaths are almost unnecessary. So we're going to look at four truths here concerning oaths from our text. All right? So the first thing I want you to recognize and realize is that not all oaths are forbidden. Okay? Not all oaths are forbidden. Now, some who come away from this text make the wrong conclusion, I believe. Right? They make the conclusion that Jesus is forbidding any and all oaths. Okay? I remember back when I was the associate pastor, minister of youth and music at, at Crofton Baptist Church over in Christian County. We were in the process of, of updating and emphasizing our church covenant. And our covenant uh, was the 1853, you know, J. Newton Brown one that the, almost all the Southern Baptist churches have, the, the older churches. How many of you guys ever went to a church with a covenant on the wall? You know what I'm talking about? It was probably the J. Newton Brown 1853 church covenant. And uh, the original covenant uses the word engage. That's the verb it uses. We engage, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. We engage to maintain family and secret devotions. We engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. But we're updating the language, right? I mean, that's not... We, don't, we use the word engage, but we don't use the word engage that way, really, today, do we? Okay? So we were updating the, the word, so we decided to use the word pledge. That's the word we use, right? We pledge. We pledge by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. Now, I got a few folks all bent out of shape, man. First off, we were changing something, okay? Right? That's enough to get things started, all right? But we used the word pledge, and for some folks there in the church there, they felt like the word pledge made the covenant an oath, and you should never... Take an oath, they said. Never mind that these people had pledged allegiance to the flag of the United States of America hundreds of times before, no doubt. Uh, one of them was even a veteran. And so you know he had pledged allegiance to the flag uh, numerous times. But nevertheless, they were convinced, based upon this text, that they should never take an oath whatsoever. All right? So we changed the word to promise, not pledge. And everybody's all right, all right? So just, just the verbiage there. But no, honestly, uh, just to be fair, I can see how if a person were to just read this text, they would come away possibly with the understanding that we should never make an oath no matter what, all right? But let me remind you guys, as you study the Bible, if you want to understand the Bible correctly, if you understand the Bible for all it's worth, when it comes to a specific text, we've got to take into account the totality of the Word of God, all right? Scripture never contradicts itself, right? Scripture comes together and supports, right? We've got to let Scripture interpret Scripture, okay? And when we do that, when we look at the totality of Scripture, not all oaths are forbidden. I mean, look at God, for instance, right? God himself instructed the, the Israelites to swear by his name. I want, I want to just pass out some passages of Scripture here. So we can share in this, all right? Just, uh, just real quickly. Who would take Deuteronomy 6.13 tonight? Deuteronomy 6.13, who would read that one? Thank you. 
How about um, Leviticus 19.12? Leviticus 19.12. Thank you. How about Genesis 22.15-17? Genesis 22.15-17. All right. All right. Thank you. Uh, Hebrews 6, 13 and 14. Who would take that? That's the last one I'm passing out right now. Thank you. All right, Hebrews 6, 13 and 14. So, so let's hear this for just a moment, okay? When we understand the totality of Scripture, God instructed the Israelites, His people, to swear by His name alone. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, 13. go. You shall take oaths in his name, right? He's instructing them, all right? Because there are moments in life because of the sinfulness of humanity, right? This is one of those concessions here that God is making. Just like a, just like last time when we were together, we talked about the concession of divorce, all right? It's a concession. God would rather it not be but he makes a concession because human beings are sinful. It's the same thing here, right? He would rather that oaths never have to be taken, never have to be given, never have to be made. But as a concession to sinful humanity, there are moments in life as a concession that God says, you may call upon higher things, promised by higher things than yourself here. And as Clint just read, God invites us to swear or to make an oath by his name. All right. And by his name alone, we'll see here in a moment, Jesus is, is specific here. They're saying that we shouldn't, you know, if we're, going to make a, if we're going to make an oath, make it by God's name. How about Leviticus 19.12? Yeah. So he's warning them here, right? He's warning. Swear by my name, but you better not do it falsely. You better not swear by my name falsely. So there we have direct instruction both in the positive and in the negative to make oaths by God's name. All right? Now, you and I as followers of Christ, as, as children of God, we're to be imitators of our Heavenly Father, right? We just sing about God being a good, good Father, all right? So we want to be good like He is good, and so we are to imitate God. And guess who makes oaths? God makes oaths. God makes us. Let's listen. We, we, I can give you numerous examples of this, okay? But we're just going to do two for time's sake tonight. Just two. Let's hear Genesis 22, 15 through 17. One of the biggest oaths ever made in the Bible. Let's hear it. No, you're fine. There you go. You got it. Beautiful. So you see what God's saying there? God is swearing by the highest thing there is, himself. Hebrews picks this up and says it in a little different way. Let's hear Hebrews 6, 13 and 14.
So like I said, there, there are all sorts of examples of, of, of this sort of language where God swears to do something, where he makes an oath. I mean, just think, think, for instance, what do we call the first half of the Bible? The what? The Old Testament. That's right. All right. Or the Old Covenant. All right. A covenant is nothing more than an oath. All right. Just like the New Testament, the New Covenant. So God makes oaths all throughout the Bible. All right. Think about Jesus himself for just a moment. Oftentimes, before Jesus would say a teaching, he would say, as Deborah read in the King James a moment ago, in the King James he would say, Verily, verily. All right? In, in, our, in our modern language, you know, it's truly, truly. All right? Amen and amen. You'll see it elsewhere, okay? That's basically, I mean, it's not, it, it's, it's a sort of an informal way of making an oath. He's saying, I'm promising you what I'm saying is true. I swear to you. I swear to God. That what I'm saying to you is true. In one sense, it's sort of what Jesus is saying there. So, again, guys, just remember that not all oaths are forbidden. Secondly, we should understand when it comes to oaths, that oaths should not be made rashly. Oaths, they're really serious. We shouldn't be flippant with these. I mean, you hear people say, you know, I swear to God. You know, all the time. You know, and, and, and you probably... You know, smack your kids, uh, you know, mouth. Don't say, quit that, you know, or, or hush them. Shh, don't say that, all right? So it's really serious. That's why Jesus says here, he says in, in, in verse 33, Matthew 5, 33. In our text, he says, again, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what was sworn, all right? That's exactly what the Old Testament taught. That's exactly what the Old Testament taught. Numbers 30, verse 2. Numbers 30, verse 2. says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. It's really serious, right? Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23. Uh, 21 through 23. Deuteronomy 23, verse 21 through 23. It says again, sort of reiterating this out of Numbers. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. So I say to you tonight, it is really serious. You don't rashly jump into a pledge to God, an oath to God or an oath to someone else by God's name. Whatever you vow to God or whatever you vow by God, you are liable for before God, all right? Therefore, they should not be made rashly. Now, you can probably think of some examples in the Bible where people made some oaths rashly. Any come to mind where people made some oaths rashly? Peter, Peter yeah. He did, didn't he? What happened there, Clint? He said, I'll never forsake you. That's right. That's right, Yeah. And then even later on, as the follow-up to that, after Jesus was arrested, Peter had, had, had promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. And then in the garden, uh, not in the garden, but uh, after Jesus was arrested in the garden of Gethsemane, he was taken to trial and out in the courtyard. Some people said, hey, weren't you with Jesus? And what did he say? I never knew the man. I never knew Jesus. And they kept questioning him. And finally it says that he swore, right? 
He called down curses on his head. In other words, by God, let God kill me if I'm not telling you the truth, basically, okay? He swore, he made an oath that he did not know God. Joshua, Joshua 9. He made a rash oath with the Hivites. Do you remember that, where they tricked him? Made, they made Joshua think that they had come from a far way off and they came in, they made their clothes look old and all their supplies look old and all this stuff. And they came in and they said, Joshua, we are your servants. We want to serve the Israelite people here in this land. Will you let us stay? And the Bible says that Joshua did not consult the Lord. He made a rash oath. He said, Absolutely. You, I, I make a pledge to you. We, we swear to you that you can live in this land. And as we know, it was a problem from there forward, wasn't it? God had told him to eradicate all the peoples from the lands. And the Hivites were a problem in the land, bringing in uh, um, uh, paganism and all the things that they had in their lifestyles, okay? So there's, there's an example. Uh, probably the worst one you can think of, possibly, is, is the one with Jephthah. Jephthah and his daughter. The book of Judges there, Judges 11, 30 and 31. Judges 11, 30 and 31. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will give the Ammonites into my hand, then whatever comes out from the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And God gave him victory over the Ammonites. And when he came home, who knows what he was thinking, but he spoke rashly. And as he's coming home, his only child, his beloved daughter, came dancing out of his front door with a tambourine, giving glory to God and praise to God that her daddy was returning home. And he was victorious over the Ammonites. And so, Jephthah had made a vow. Now, he said he would make, it a, he would make that a burnt offering, all right? But I don't believe he did that. I believe actually what happened, what happened, if you, if you read the, 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 the rest of the text there, basically, even though she was his only child, he had no heirs, right? She, she would have given him children, she would have had a husband and all these things, Basically what happened is he dedicated her to God and left her a virgin for the rest of her life. He never gave her in marriage to anyone else, all right? But in his rashness, Jephthah was left without a lineage, okay? We could point to others. Solomon, a good example. Or not Solomon, um, I mean Saul, King Saul, um, other ones, okay? But just suffice it to say that, that you and I, we should be really careful what vows we make before God because we're accountable. So oaths should not be made rashly. But thirdly, oaths should not be made deceptively. All right? Oaths should not be made deceptively. And that's what Jesus is really getting at here. That's what he's really, gonna, that's what he's really uh, trying to lean into and speak to, okay? Because basically the leaders of Israel had come up with this convoluted system of oath-making that they believed they could make an oath that was less binding. Okay? Now, if someone swore by the name of God, they considered that you had to do it. There was no way out of it. You could not back out of that. But they could swear by heaven. 
Or they could swear by earth, or they could swear by Jerusalem, or by their head. They believed here. And they believed that it gave them some wiggle room. They could fudge on it. They could back out on it, right? They could renege. And if they were to back out of those sort of oaths, it wasn't really a big deal. It was a basically systematized lying is what basically was going on. Jesus pointed out to him, and this is, this is, this is so illogical. This is so illogical. So, so look here at verse 34 through 36. Matthew 5, 34 through 36. Jesus says, But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, and listen to the, listen to the reasoning here, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Jesus is basically pointing out the, the, how illogical this is because all these things that they were swearing by, thinking that they were getting around a connection to God, they were all connected to God, right? Heaven is connected to God. It's his what? Throne, right? Isn't that what the scripture says here? It's his throne. Earth is connected to God. Why? He created It's his footstool, it says here. Jerusalem is connected to God. Why? Because it's the city of the Messiah. It's the city of the king. It's God's city. And to swear by these things, they thought they weren't swearing by God, but by swearing by these things connected to God. They were swearing by God. So it didn't make any sense. But not only that, they were swearing by their head. They were swearing by their head. And we've all made promises, right? We've made oaths. We've made promises. And in the end, we just couldn't make good on it. I've been there. You've been there. Most likely, we've made promises that in the end, we just could not make good on. That's why it's so illogical to swear by your own head. right? You have little power to control things. You and I may have good intentions, but we are not omnipotent. And in the end, we may promise something that we can never deliver on. Jesus says, you cannot make one hair white or black. You're not in control. You can't swear by your head. But again, the, these oaths in Jesus' day, they were often used to deceive people. Listen to what uh, uh, Pastor John MacArthur says. I think he says it well here. He said of this passage, he said, But the greatest error in the system was not in its illogic, but in its basic deceptiveness and dishonesty. As a matter of accepted policy in this day, some oaths were used to undermine the very purpose they purportedly were meant to serve, the truth. In spite of the fact that an oath is given to reinforce and emphasize the truthfulness of a statement or the reliability of a promise, over the years an intricate system of duplicity had been devised that virtually promoted the use of oaths for deception. So oaths should not be made deceptively. So fourth and finally tonight then, oaths should be almost unnecessary. They should be almost unnecessary. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. That's pretty strong words. 
right? Anything more than this comes from evil. Oftentimes, people begin to swear and call on higher things than themselves and all this when they're trying to convince somebody. They are lying, but they're trying to convince them, right? Or, or we often swear to God when we're trying to convince somebody to believe us. Maybe you as a, as a husband or a wife, right? You, you and your wife have had a big blow-up, or you and your husband have had a big blow-up, and maybe you've said back to them, I swear to you, I will never say that again. I swear to you, I will never do that again. We're trying to get them to believe us. They don't believe us, right? We, we've broken their trust, but in order to try to gain their trust back, we call them this higher commitment, right? This swearing. I, I swear to God, I'll never do that again. But Jesus says, that comes from wickedness. We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. If a person has to swear to you by God over and over on, on just regular run-the-mill stuff, we automatically should wonder if they're telling us the truth because their yes should be enough and their no should be enough. All right? So in thinking about this, if we're going to be people of integrity... People integrity, if we live in such a way, as we, as we said earlier, if we are to live, in su- live with such integrity that oaths are almost unnecessary, let's think about some application here. All right? How do we keep our promises? Let's brainstorm on this for just a moment. Let's think about this. How do we keep our promises? What would you all say? What are some... Some rules to live by if you are going to keep your promises. What would you say? Well, you could have someone, a third party, that you're accountable to. Okay. Yeah, that's a way to do it, isn't it? Yeah, so you sort of have a witness what was said. Absolutely, that's one way to do it. Perhaps another way is make only promises you intend to keep. You know? Um, so you've got to have intention there. Now again, I'm a sinner talking to sinners, okay? Most likely you made promises to people that you knew when you said it, you would never do it. Why did we do that? Because we wanted to get them out of our face, right? We wanted to get out of that awkward situation, all right? But if we're going to keep our promises, you need to make, you need to be a person of truth, you need to be a person of integrity. Only make promises that you intend to keep. Would, it, would, would anybody suggest anything else? I would say secondly then, make only promises not just that you intend to keep, but promises that you can keep. Right? There's a good axiom in business. Under promise and what? Over deliver. All right? Oftentimes when we make promises, we do the opposite, don't we? We overpromise. We overpromise, right? In order trying to convince them to go with us or, or to do whatever, to believe us or whatever, we overpromise. We say things that we most likely can never follow up and be good in, right? We can't make good on that promise, right? So not only make promises that you intend to keep, 
but that promises that you can keep. In other words, be realistic when you make a promise or make an oath to someone. If it, if it comes to the point where you have to make an oath, be realistic. But even just in your regular in and out days, in your promises, in your obligations, right? Be realistic. Oftentimes when you think about your schedule, for instance, I mean, we just, I'm, I'm guilty of this. I just fill it up, you know. It, it's so hard. Right to to know how the day's going to go and and, and and oftentimes you know I, I make promises in my schedule that I can't keep. I should know this. We need margin in our lives. You can't you know. So anyway, just just think about that. When you make promises, when you when you when you commit to something, be realistic in it. Okay, make promises that you can keep. Third, I would say this. Anybody jump in if you, if one comes to mind. I mean, third, I would say this. And this is really important. Learn to say no. <laughs> now remember, what did Jesus say? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now some of us have a really hard time with that second option, don't we? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Anybody here suffer from people pleasing? I'm going to put up both hands, right? <laughs> you know, my wife is, is, is really good at holding me accountable. Just tell them no, Ben. And I'm like, I can't. They won't like me. You know? <laughs> they, won't, they won't think I'm doing a good job. You know, or whatever else, okay? But we have to learn to say no. Because oftentimes if we make a commitment that we feel constrained to make, we often won't come through with it because our heart's not in it. So we've got to learn to say no. And again, not just because we want to be wholehearted in it. Maybe we say yes to something with good intentions, but we, 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 we oftentimes, again, get so many yeses on our, on our, on our plate that we just, can't, we just can't follow through on it, okay? So we've got to learn to say no. And if nobody else, anybody else have anything else before I do the final one I'll come up with? All this wisdom in the room, I know there's a bunch. So what do you do with people who have different personalities, okay? All right. Yeah. So you're saying that on the other side of that, how do you help that person? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, I think that I think that's a good yeah. So let's think let's chew on that for a moment. So the person that that is making a promise to you that you know tends to overpromise and underdeliver, how do you help them not to make a promise they can't keep? What would y'all say to that? How do you help them to make a promise that they can't keep or probably won't keep? Don't ask. Okay, don't ask them. That's right. What else would you say? You don't have to do that? Yeah. Yeah, sometimes we put them on the spot, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, we can put some softness to it, right? So, you know, listen, I know you're really busy. If you can, that would be cool. But please don't feel like you have to, you know, put some softness into it. Anybody say anything else? Children benefit from constant reminders. Okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's a good way to help people keep make their promises. You know, uh, so maybe it's you write them down or you find that third party or you remind them. That's right. We, need, we all need reminders. Um, you know, 
you know, as, as much as these things can be aggravating, they're really helpful. You know, so it's like, hey, Siri, remind me tomorrow at 9 o'clock to change all the clocks in the church. And she's not going to remind me. So anyway, she didn't work. But anyway, you see what I'm saying? Stuff like that, right? We need reminders. That's good. Thank you, Bob. And so maybe it's even you write them down in a calendar, you know? How many of you guys have ever, you know, said the day of or, or, or whatever, and, and you realize, oh, no, it's today, or someone reminds you, like, oh, I didn't write that down, I promise you. Okay, it's important, right? So write things down, remind yourself, be reminded by others. So, and, and, and so that, that means telling people what you promised as well, right? So maybe they can help you remember. Would, you, would y'all say anything else? Anything else, other wisdom you'd add in there? And I guess I would say this finally then, to help you keep your promises, is to remember that all promises, all oaths, whether you use God's name or not, are made before God. Right? When you promise to do something, God sees that and God knows that. Right? So if we say we will do something, we are saying that before God as our witness. And so we need to be as best as possible to follow through on that. Now, what if you don't keep your promise? What do you do then? You repent. That's absolutely right. That's one thing to do. What about with the person? What do you do? Ask for forgiveness. That's right. And then you try to make restitution. You try to make it up to them, right? You know what? I'm sorry I missed that. Can I, can I do this for you, right? You offer a way to make it up to them, okay? We are human beings, right? Which means we are limited in our ability to do stuff. And so there are going to be moments where we just don't follow through. Not only are we human beings, but we're sinful human beings. And sometimes we make promises that we never intend to keep, okay? So it's important for us to, to on the back end of that, to know what to do, to repent and, and to, to, to ask for forgiveness and to try to make restitution for those wrongs. All right. Here's the conclusion for tonight. Here's what I pray you would uh, just think about as we head out. May we need only our yes and our no to be believed. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that He sent Jesus to be your Savior. 
Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live and he stood condemned on the cross dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.